Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Sage Rosenfels, former Minnesota Vikings quarterback, and uh, we're here, Sage. We're here in Indy for the NFL Combine. We made it. We got our credentials, and everything is fine. After I believe, two years of really no media being here the last couple seasons because of the pandemic, uh, we were here three years ago, and um, in a very similar spot in the convention center doing some podcasts as well. It is, it's good to be back. The weather's been great so far. Uh, we're going to be 60 degrees today, which is nice because it is sort of a walk around mentality here, outdoors, uh, preferably to indoors, because you're going from hotel lobby to hotel lobby to restaurant to occasional bar to back to the convention center to in no particular order, of course. Mm -hmm. Occasional bar, you said. um, Of course, as as a quote-unquote adult now, uh, a non-player at this thing, uh, 2001 was the year that I was here as a player. Um, the whole thing has changed a lot, but also in some ways is still the, sort of the exact same basics. Most of the players staying over at the Crown Plaza, uh, right across the street. That's where, where I stayed. I stayed in a train. Uh, they have these trains over there. I think they're still there uh, that they sort of turn into hotel rooms. Um, and yeah, you have a roommate. It's really not a great set up for the players i think for everybody else um for everyone that works for the teams that you know the all the equipment managers have to come all the trainers have to come i ran to a whole bunch of vikings people last night sugarman the team doctors they were all having dinner everybody in some form or fashion pretty much for an nfl team has to be here and i think it's great for them but for the actual players themselves and to put out like their best physical performance, um, it may not be the, 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 the perfect conditions for those players. It's interesting that there's some sort of things at work for the future of this event. Uh, one of them is that the New York Jets decided not to bring their coaches here, that Robert Sala is not coming. And there's also some buzz for players getting paid to show up in the future because it has become such a content machine that – like they probably should be paid for their time. I mean, if NFL Network and ESPN and everybody else is going to show up and hundreds and hundreds of writers and content creators and use these players as a platform to make a bunch of money, like they should be included in that piece of the pie as opposed to having to pay their own way here and everything else like that. I mean, so I think that like this thing can go in a lot of different ways. I mean, because you also have a lot of the top players who are saying, well, look, I mean, I'm going to be a number one or number two overall pick. Why should I come here and risk, you know, whatever risk there might be of getting hurt doing the bench press or getting hurt running the 40 when everyone already knows that I'm a top pick and you're just using me for your show. And so I, I think that that will eventually happen, that we will see more of a monumental change. And also, I'm not sure that it's going to stay in indie forever. That as, as you mentioned, like 
I mean, I like Indy a lot. I think this is a really cool place. I think it's awesome. It's here. But I think that maybe the agents and the players and everybody else might want it to be like in L.A. or Vegas. So a couple of things there. Uh, one, as we, we all know, the NFL will, to do, will look to do whatever it can to suck every dollar <laughs> out of every corner yes. of this business. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was in the Senior Bowl, the practices weren't on TV. The game was on TV on, on the Saturday, but that was it. Now those practices are on NFL Network, right? So people are watching that and money's coming in. The Combine was not a TV event in mm-hmm. any way. Uh, of course it is now. And you know, these, in these college players leaving college, they're sort of stuck in the middle. They don't have a contract yet. They're not part of the sort of NFL Players Association. They don't really have any rights um, uh, uh, per se, so they don't, they don't have a lot of bargaining power. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say about the, the location – I do think Indy, oddly, is maybe one of the best spots for this thing. Um, it's a, one; it's an inexpensive town. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're in Los Angeles. It's yeah. really much more expensive hotels, um, and everything is right here. So the NFL yeah. is saving money. It's a, the whole sort of um, uh, the whole combine, if you can include like the hotels and the sort of this whole circus. Mm-hmm. Everything is about a six-block walk from each yeah, other. Yeah, from very of, easy to move around. Yeah, from sort of the east side of downtown uh, Indianapolis to the the JW Marriott on the west side and the convention center, sort of right in the middle. Everything is a, a short walking distance, mm-hmm. and there's really not that many NFL cities that have that. New Orleans is one. I yeah. don't think the combine being New Orleans is a good idea for anybody. <laughs> um, no. uh, Los Angeles, you're just not going to get those clusters of hotels. Yep. Uh, that uh, are really easy and great to walk around. Um, you know, it's a very quiet downtown. Downtown LA has you know Skid Row and all sorts of issues going on right there. Las Vegas, obviously the casinos, and mm-hmm. and if you ever walked around Las Vegas, it's a long walk. Yeah, to yep. get from like one casino hotel to another. I mean, it's like a mile to that one that looks like it's about a hundred yards away, mm-hmm. and then you start walking. It's a long. So it's a very sort of spread out, mm-hmm. uh, unless they put everybody at one hotel or right. something like that. Um, so you know, I'm I'm not like the biggest Indianapolis fan. Like, oh, this is the greatest place to be, but for this event. Uh, I have been here now, you know, other than playing three or four times, and I thoroughly enjoy coming here. And the weather, it seems like it's been mild the last couple times we've been here. And even if it's not, there's uh, they have like the indoor walkway, sort of like Minneapolis. Uh, so it really is, I just can't think of a sort of better location in this country where the Combine should be. And it's not a glitz and glamour town, but this is a business. There's the Combine, which is the show, which could be anywhere. But then there is this huge business side of, of the week for, for each NFL team. And I just think it's a really easy place to do a lot of business. No, I agree. And I like it from the perspective of being a reporter that it's really easy to move around. Like you jump in a taxi, you come downtown, and then, like you said, you're within a a mile of everything, uh, walking distance, or you can grab an Uber real quick or whatever. uh, And you kind of know the gathering spots for everybody. It's just like classic NFL fashion that someday they might decide, no, actually, we're going to sponsor this thing and, you know, figure out whatever other ways we can to make money in bigger places. Uh, I hope it doesn't change. It 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 would be awful to, to be in a car. Oh, driving yeah. from one event to another or something oh, like yes. that. And uh, yeah, it's just sort of a it's, it's sort of a perfect size 
uh, a city for it. And uh, the weather, I said, the, the, the fairly mild weather. A couple of years ago, it snowed when, mm-hmm. when I was here, but it still didn't seem like it wasn't bad to go from, I said, one side of the town to the other. Also, I think this town so much embraces the combine. Yeah. It knows, you know, Indianapolis has a lot of things that it's sort of known for. I feel like basketball probably being the number one thing and maybe the Colts being there, but this combine is, it's like the College World Series in Omaha where I live. Mm-hmm. It's People know about it. And so I think this town sort of, does the bends over backwards a little bit or whatever those words are, uh, those phrases are for this event. Right. You know, those uh, steakhouses that sort of turn into bars, they're open until three or four o'clock in the morning. I don't know what the rules are or like the legalities <laughs> yeah. of that, but I know in Los Angeles, it is a hard 145, everyone's out. They don't mess around in, in, in a lot of these cities. I think in this town, uh, they, they sort of bend or allow the rules to be bent a little bit because they, they want to be a great host for all the people coming in here. Well, let's talk about your experience uh, as being a quarterback coming to the Combine and a quarterback who actually really helped your draft stock at the NFL Combine. Because, you know, as we get here every year, there's always talk of like, how much does it matter? And, you know, does does it really make that big of a difference now when they have a lot of other information and everything else? And I think the answer is that it still very much does. And uh, if you come here as somebody who's on the fringe and has a chance to show that you have the athletic ability or have the arm strength or whatever, that stuff is not always super easy to tell how it's going to translate from college tape, uh, especially probably back in your day where maybe it was only TV tape. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a, the quarterbacks who are showing up here, they're very much clustered. And it's like I've seen different orders from everybody. Some people think Sam Howell's the best. Some people think Malik Willis is the best. Uh, I've gotten some, you know, Desmond Ritter takes that people think he's the guy. And they come here with an opportunity to do a workout in a high pressure situation and show what they have and give themselves a chance. So how were you able to emerge as someone who deserved to be drafted because I looked at your college stats your analytics were not that impressive my college stats were terrible I threw for <laughs> I believe 50 true. I think I believe for, uh, I threw for under 52 percent it was like 51.6 percent my senior year 10 touchdowns 11 interceptions but I ran for 10 touchdowns right um, and yeah, so we were not a throwing team. We would run drawn third and seven all the time, and we were very sort of conservative. It was that old Wisconsin Barry Alvarez mm-hmm. style of like try to play good defense and just grind it out on offense with a really good running back. And that's what we always had when I, when I was there. We did not have much of a passing attack. I'd throw the ball 20, 25 times mm-hmm. a game. And so, um, you know, the, the, these scouts, these, these quarterback coaches, coordinators, head coaches that are involved with the quarterbacks, they've watched all these guys on film. Maybe not all their games, but they've probably watched. You look at the stats and go, okay, they, they, let's watch two or three good games and maybe a couple of bad games. And so you see the, the, the film. But the problem is the cameras are not on the field. The cameras are way up in the the press box, and so you, it's just hard to see that the tangible, uh, you know, size of these guys. You know how big. You know, you you, you see Justin Herbert. And you're like, wow, that is a big man, and that does have an uh, an effect on what you think of somebody as an athlete. How long they can play. Uh, when they do run well, it's like, man, they ran a, a good time and they do all these drills well, and he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. But if he was three inches shorter and 15 pounds lighter, maybe not as impressive. And so um, it said that there's, a, there's a opinions that get formed with all the film, and then this just is more information. You're in this world of analytics. Well, I'm sure analytics people want as much information
information as they can. And so this is this is probably like the original analytics of an actual individual player. So you have these tangible numbers, anything from hand size. We were talking about my hand size last night. Enormous. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the biggest hands of all the quarterbacks in the 2001 draft. Um, it didn't feel like that when I was a player because I still struggled sometimes to, to hold on to the ball. Uh, like, like Favre just had giant hands, but his hands were also like uh, – like, like giant sausages as you know they're like the kielbasas they were just he had these super super thick fingers and you know, he's probably bailing hay more than i was uh you know as a kid working on the farm but but yeah it gives you these sort of these tangible numbers your size your your weight of course your, your different you know defensive end arm length matters it, it, it really does especially as you are trying to uh, uh, sort of guess what the the potential is, the ceiling of these players, um, and it's just more information added to it. And of course, those interviews, those interviews are important. I think that that for me was, um, you know, again, you watch film, you don't really know anything about the actual kid, just the the physical abilities you see on film. But when you actually talk to somebody, you get a better feel of: Do I want that guy in my team? Do I want that guy in my organization? Does he have his head screwed on right mm-hmm. uh, to to be worth? really an investment because that's all these teams are is investing what we I would like to use the word draft capital mm-hmm. but investing up uh, uh, and they only have so much capital in various ways and at each organization you have the salary cap but then this is you only have so many draft picks and so they're right. this is investment in the team's future and they're, they're going to want to collect as much information as possible well, what was the interview process like because I'm sure that hasn't changed a ton except for maybe the inappropriate questions that they used to ask can't be asked anymore. But I, th- I think there's still ridiculous things like coaches who want to do a staring contest with players, coaches who want to play rock, paper, scissors was one that came out last year with Nick Sirianni from the Eagles. It's like, okay, I guess I understand some of this, but like what? <laughs> I mean, what are you, what are you gaining? Are you, are you trying to figure out if the player plays along or rolls his eyes at you? Is that more of it than to see if he's actually good at rock, paper, scissors? It was, did you have stuff like that or was it like, I don't think I had anything to, yeah, it was pretty straightforward. I, I felt, and I think it has become much more organized yeah. over the last 20 years where it really was, you be uh you'd be at the the hotel and like the sort of lobby convention sort of area over there at the crown plaza and people would just grab you you mm-hmm. just you'd, you'd be a, a guy for wearing a buffalo bills hat would walk up and say hey can we, we get you right now for an interview and i'd be like well i'm walking to go do the interview with the the cowboys quarterbacks coach can we get you after that in 30 minutes sure all right we're gonna be right over here come on so it was like very just sort of grabbing people and and trying trying to set things up there was no organization i think it's much more organized now yeah for sure um which is much better but you know sometimes you do those interviews a lot of times it's just the quarterbacks coach Mm -hmm. especially this one right if teams really like you they will maybe at your private workout or maybe down the line do it where it's the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator or maybe like the whole almost whole organization but when i was here it was a lot of times it was just a quarterback coach a couple times i feel like it was a coordinator also mm-hmm. um but there was definitely i had a, at one time the, the basically the entire kansas city chiefs it's like i walked into their suite and it was Herm Edwards, it was uh, Carl Peterson, who was a general manager, quarterback coach, coordinator, wide receivers coach, probably 10 or 12 people in the room. That was a different interview. And that also makes you feel like, wow, they must, they're spending their, their time, their time capital on, on me. So obviously they were, they're super interested in drafting me. Well, about, I don't know, a month later, right before uh, uh, the draft, they traded for um, Trent Green, 
uh, uh, who Kurt Warner had sort of won that job in St. Louis until training. And so that was sort of sort of ended my chance of being drafted by the Chiefs. But but, you know, that that was that was an interesting interview, too, to have uh, like really the whole organization. And you're sort of sitting there like the the FBI is with the light on you, like to answer the, <laughs> yeah. answer these questions. But a lot of it sort of get to know you yeah. uh, type of stuff and just get a feel for how you talk, how you communicate. Uh, you know, they'll ask you a lot of times, what are your goals and what would you, you know, and you're going to, everyone gives the same goals. Well, I want to be the quarterback of a team that wins a Super Bowl and that's my goal. And everyone sort of says a lot of that same stuff. It's probably like office space where it's like, my goal is not just to be, just to not be hassled. <laughs> I just, I've got eight bosses and I just don't want to be hassled. I don't think, you know, it's quite like that. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of guys have, you know, sort of pre-scripted answers um, uh, in, in a lot of ways to these questions. But yeah, I think they try to, uh, ask odd ones sometimes. I don't recall any anything too off the wall. Sometimes they'll also make you do little physical tests. They'll have like some sort of machine that's testing maybe your reaction time or how you react to things in some computer software system or some light uh, thing where you're pressing buttons on it to sort of see weird reaction things. Uh, it's these, you know, the, the sort of the, not the team doctors, but like performance mm-hmm. coaches that are trying to probably hired as a third party to like help the teams get the, you know, it's, it's a never ending battle to try to, to not miss if you're an organization. Yeah. Not only that, but think about how much money owners pay for stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, I cannot imagine that flashing lights that your eyes are supposed to dart around to are telling you whether you could be a good NFL quarterback or not. It's just like what you you would think. You would think. I will say this though, um, and when, when we talk about quarterbacks in particular, but really all athletes, what is the hardest thing to to judge? The hardest thing to find to put a number on, uh, put a ranking on, is the the processing of physical and mental information. Right. In, in you know, it's of course it's in your head, but there's a there's a an aspect in your own brain of processing the physical things that are going on around you, mm-hmm. and we all see the athletes who man all the numbers make sense. He should be good, but there's just something that's not there, uh, and at crunch time or or the, the confusing defense, the the blitz is sort of mentally overwhelming for them, mm-hmm. and that is something that teams are more and more coming up with various uh, uh, tests. Um, I've worked with some companies that, that do things like that. It's the actual processing of information. It has nothing to do with smarts. You know, for a long time, it's like, oh, he's a smart quarterback. Right, right. Because he had a 3.8 at so-and-so college, uh, so he must be smart. But smart and processing information, uh, as from a physical standpoint, have almost nothing to do with each other. Uh, and so I think that's where a lot of times teams guessed wrong when they went after like the smart quarterback mm-hmm. rather than one who actually processed information faster. Because I don't know how smart Pat Mahomes is, but his mind processes physical information at an extremely high rate. I think we have some evidence to suggest Brett Favre might not be a Rhodes Scholar at yeah. times. In Dan his Marino life. scored like a 13 or something on his <laughs> yeah. Wonderlick too. Um, well, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, had a perfect Wonderlick that he finished within like 10 minutes or something. Yeah. Yeah, so very, very smart, and and I think Fitzpatrick uh, probably processes a lot of information. But his greatest strength is his like sort of screwed attitude. I'm gonna go out here and 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 uh, just ball out. Uh, he, he releases his mind from all of the overthinking of the information, which can be a that's like a challenge sometimes with like quote unquote smart people is they sort of paralysis paralysis by analysis as they overanalyze things so much they can't let their body just uh, just flow and and do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, and I think that Fitzpatrick also has this personality that is 
completely unique in getting people to believe in him and play with him. Even though he's never really been good in the NFL, people just flock to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, there's something about him. Would you say likability is like a word? I feel like that's a phrase that people don't use when they describe quarterbacks enough. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, a, it's like no one really wants to talk about it. Like, do guys on the team players coaches do they really like that guy yeah like do they really like having him like i i even if you didn't if you like played for the saints for all those years and maybe uh, uh you didn't love drew Brees, but you respected him so much that it just sort of like he raised the the bar for everybody in the organization yeah and so you became a sort of very likable person on that team and I think that is one of the that's probably of all the things one of the hardest things to to judge in those interviews they do their best but likability is a very very because these coaches you know that they're trying to like a like a player but player and player player relationships and coaches player relationships are very very different and to really like I mean there's a lot of quarterbacks to play with that other players like ugh didn't like that guy. He was boring. Mm-hmm. He just didn't have any sort of pizzazz, any sort of swag, as, as you might say. Yeah, yeah. And like like Derek Carr, I think, has a ton of swag. I love watching the the, the guy play. And he's like very straight and narrow. They, they're a very straight and narrow family. But he has this like confidence, this this sort of uh, aura around him. I feel like that he mm-hmm. believes, he truly believes that he can get it done. And I think that's sort of infectious uh, um, you know, on that team. And so you're, you're always looking for a quarterback that has that sort of magnetic personality that he doesn't have to be a loud or whatever, but something uh, that uh, is very, very likable. And th- there's a lot of quarterbacks out there that aren't. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, there's probably like different categories to it. So like Tom Brady would be the, the, the master and commander of the ship. So like everybody knows who's in charge. And it doesn't matter if you like Tom Brady or not. He's in charge 100% and nobody questions that. Uh, there's probably relatability, which was the Teddy Bridgewater thing, where it seemed like every person who came in contact with Teddy Bridgewater, he found a way to relate to them, whether they were a seventh round draft pick or the star of the team or whatever it was. And I think people wanted to play with Teddy because of that. Yeah. Um, and Guys, you can connect with. And I always thought that by the, the Manning brothers, I always thought that was one of their greatest strengths and greatest accomplishments from their parents mm-hmm. on down is they grew up wealthy private school kids they had every reason to be sort of disconnected from the the guys in the roster that were not from that world which is the vast majority of them but but they had ability to connect to all those guys uh and that, that is that is really important right and so i thought that you know malik willis talking about getting to know everyone at the senior bowl and making a bunch of friends and things like that 
that matters when you get into the locker room. And if most quarterbacks are not going to be Aaron Rodgers, where who knows what his personality is, but he's so good it doesn't matter. And he's yeah. the, he's the commander type anyway. Like I also don't think Aaron franchise. Aaron could have, could sort of do what he does now. 12 years ago. Right, right, right. His fourth year in the league, second year after Favre left or whatever, he couldn't be sort of the way he is right. now. You know, sometimes sort of a sort of a, a, a handful uh, in <laughs> yes. some ways. But right. he, he's so good, and he does – he's done so much, and everyone watches him play, and they see how sort of amazing he is. It, it be, you become very likable really, really fast as far as uh, – uh, but, they, but they believe, despite all those other things, they believe – that he is their best bet at winning the Super Bowl and getting deep in the playoffs. And so that makes you pretty likable pretty fast. Well, and that was the other thing I was going to bring up is that do they believe in you? Like, do they believe that when you have the ball in the last drive that you're going to get it done? And even when you don't, they still go out on the field the next time believing that you will. I think that those three things are really hard to isolate in some sort of interview situation. So if you're sitting down with Kenny Pickett and you know whatever we saw this in the Gruden camp stuff which I thought was really instructive that you know he would sort of try to pick at them a little bit he'd be like you know with the spider 2y banana thing with Andrew Luck like why did you do this why didn't you throw to the fullback what's your problem what were you thinking there and sort of just see how they would react to stuff like that I thought that was really interesting and that's the stuff that goes on behind the scenes here that we don't get to know about or get to see that might be the difference between someone being a first round pick and not and overall the NFL is very good at picking out which guys should be first round picks which should be second third fourth Um, so they do deserve their credit for that for that due diligence it's just once they're a first round pick you don't know who's going to succeed and who doesn't Uh, but I wanted to ask you we're, we haven't talked yet to Kwesi Adolfo Mensa or Kevin O'Connell. There will be a follow-up episode um, that's coming out soon after we talk with them later on. But what, what, are, what should we be looking for here? Because for me, it's really hard to talk about anything except the quarterback situation. It's like, are we looking for corners for defensive ends? Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe a playmaker, whatever. And I'm intrigued by a lot of these players. It's supposed to be a great defensive end draft. They're going to be looking at a new set of defensive ends, including outside linebackers that they have not in the past. Everyone's talking about those guys are going to light up the combine and everything. I just cannot move myself off of the conversation about the quarterback I don't know that we're going to get an answer this week. I, I'm sure of it, not at the podium or in the side session with those guys. Uh, and I'm not even sure like how much we should make of any answers that they give. I don't think there's going to be a trade this week. But I, I do think that if these quarterbacks show that there is more there than has been talked about, that the physical skills show up, or can he pick its hands, suddenly turn into yours? Uh <laughs> That might be influential in a Vikings decision because I, I I think I personally would not make a ton of it being a quote weak draft. I think NFL people do though, even the NFL people who have all the analytics and know what the odds are and everything else. I think that they make a lot when their scouts evaluate and say, guys, there isn't a sure thing quarterback that teams do get scared of that. And this week is sort of an opportunity for two or three guys to emerge to give teams confidence. I think it could be influential in the Vikings decision. I mean, every year there's a couple quarterbacks that end up being 
legitimate good starters every year. And uh, it's not always the first one or the second one picked. Sometimes it's a it's a third rounder like a Russell Wilson um, or Tom Brady as a, as a sixth rounder, right? I mean, there, there's always those guys that sort of fall through the cracks. But every year there's going to be a quarterback or two or more that end up being very, very good. The question is, you know, is which one? It, it is always easy to talk about the quarterbacks, as, as, especially in the Viking situation where they spend a ton of money on their starting quarterback who is not an elite quarterback so you're already getting bad value there right so it's an easy thing for for us to talk about but I I would like to talk about by the way the defensive ends and that's the defense in general when I look at teams that are rebuilding their roster like when Shanahan and Lynch got that job with the 49ers um, as the as Cleveland was turning over there from a terrible team for years and Stefanski you know it was it was defensive ends um and and really good defensive lines. Uh, if I were, you know, and I, when I went to Houston with, with Kubiak in 2006, we had we had the first pick of the draft, two and fourteen the year before. Everyone thought, oh, we're going to do Reggie Bush, the yeah. most, you know, he's the Marshall Falk of the future. Why wouldn't you draft him? Um, Vince Young, we needed a quarterback. Vince Young's from Houston, local legend, Texas legend. We should have drafted him. We went with Mario Williams because we needed a stud defensive end and there's usually only a couple of those guys in each draft guys that are just freaks of nature they're sort of like the one in the one in the billion dna Mm -hmm. and i do think uh if i'm building a team when you have a really good defensive line that stops the run and creates pressure in the passing game without having to blitz and try to confuse and you can just sort of play solid in the back end you can make the entire team better with a great defensive line. You get more chances on offense, makes your corners better because they might get some some freebies out there. Uh, you know the quarterback's going to have to get rid of the ball quicker, which means they can sit on routes. Uh, so I, I do think that the Vikings should, you know, and, and they and they always have, but really should. And they've never really done the first round defensive ends right. And in, in a long time, yeah. I think I, I I saw you tweet that uh, a week or two ago. They like the second rounders. They like the third rounders. Like you're looking for deals. Um, but uh, if this is a really good defensive end draft, I, I would recommend them going out and and really trying to get uh, really trying to get one of the, one of the good ones. Well, you made this point to me a while back: is when you get a defensive end that is really good, uh, they usually are good for a really long time. Where corners, other positions. Uh, you know, they could be a little more inconsistent, a little more up and down. Corners or, get hurt a or lot. Or great more. for six years, and then they get they pull a hamstring, and then they're just not quite as fast as they used to be, and that's a game changer for them. Right. Whereas yeah. defensive ends and pass rushers, they will be good into their thirties if you draft a guy who's really good, and there might be a little slower of a curve for them to jump right into the mix. But I think that the Vikings don't necessarily need someone to step in right away and get 12 sacks. Like if you bring in someone and they show progress in the first year and they look like a future starter, well, then then you've hit on that draft pick. And I think if the Vikings don't decide to go with a quarterback, then we should do a quick ranking here. I, I mean, I have defensive end as number one if they do not go with a quarterback in that position over corner because I think that they do need a a great corner but there's only like a couple of guys even of the last decade who have been the island corner that truly transforms your secondary I think you kind of need to throw numbers at that like the way that Tampa Bay built their secondary was they just drafted a bunch of corners in the second and third round and a couple of them worked out and and, and then they had backups who at least were fairly high draft picks I think it's numbers I think it's scheme I think there's there's Mm -hmm. more schematic things to 
uh, sort of help just average corners. Like, hey, we don't have a great secondary, but with the way we scheme things, they, they give, give those guys a chance to be successful. You can't really – defensive ends are defensive ends. There's not like, oh, we're going to scheme all this stuff. It's right. That guy is going to be better than the left tackle. Is he or isn't he? And uh, uh, to, to, to have a guy or really two, really even three – like I look at these – teams that win Super Bowls. The Rams, of course, they sort of fell in the luck with the Von Miller thing situation, but they had like three Pro Bowl-style defensive ends, uh, you know, of course, Aaron Donald as well, uh, you know, on that football team. Yep. You know, the, Leonard I me- Floyd. I remember the, the Giants when I was with them when they won the Super Bowls. They would have, you know, you know, of course, your Justin Tuck and OCU Manura and your starters, but they had backup defensive ends that would come in on second long, on third long, and they'd really have four defensive ends on the field. They'd take out those the big tackles and the obvious passing situations and so they needed like the, all the depth of these guys that could rush the passer because we love talking about the quarterbacks the passer but it just as important as the guys who are trying to get the quarterback to prevent him from passing which are these defensive linemen right and uh, I think that you know what PFF found when they studied like pass rush and coverage was that coverage has more of an impact on wins but the thing is you can't really separate those two because the coverage is going to be positively impacted by the pass rush. And the Vikings had this crazy thing last year where they got a lot of sacks, one of of the best in the league, but their pressure rate was one of the lowest in the league. And think about what they had on the defensive line in 2017. Tom Johnson, situational player, but really, really good at rushing the passer. Brian Robinson was coming in off the bench on third downs to rush over the guard. I mean, he's a guy that was a 7-10 to type of sack player. Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter in their primes and Linval Joseph I think had five and a half sacks that year and a really good pressure rate for a nose tackle and I mean there's what it often comes down to is there are situations in games where you kind of have to rush four like all right it's you know third and ten and you need a stop and you got to rush four is everybody going to be able to cover for four seconds of course not not with a team that's got good receivers you need to be able to create pressure that way and not just be, and this is sort of what they became last year, predictable that you were going to send some sort of blitz every single third down. And I think that even though they still did okay on third downs, that hurts. Like that allows for big plays. If you you know get it wrong with the blitz, it's a touchdown or it's a big play. And they gave up a lot of those. And that has to start somewhere in terms of rebuilding this. I think that interior pass rush is probably more valuable than people think. But having that Nick Bosa, having that Vaughn Miller, like that is that is an incredibly good place to start. And with Ed Donatel coming here and doing a three-four type of thing, it seems like every great three-four defense always has that amazing outside linebacker. Yeah, the, the good, I, 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 this is a game of of having great pass rush, and you know having a pass rush helps the secondary uh, uh, be better. It's like you know you can you can go back and be like, oh, uh, the Vikings are another team where. 23rd in the league in pass defense Mm -hmm. but a lot of times that's correlated to the pressure rate from the defensive linemen well we don't have a good d-line guys were hurt we didn't draft well we're not getting pressure well of course you're the quarterbacks can be completing balls all over the all over the secondary it also has a big effect on the other side of the football uh you know when there's a lot of sacks when there's a lot of uh, sacks on third downs you get better field position the off there's a there's momentum swings in sacks the offense gains confidence and so um you know, having a defensive line that is uh, creates a lot of pressure uh, is good for all other aspects of the football team. 
So what would you have after that? I mean, they need corners, but something that stuck out to me is that the Rams kept drafting wide receivers, even after they had wide receivers. And this is something I would love to see the Vikings doing. I mean, there's a couple of receivers in this draft who look like they're going to be really good, who are in the middle of the first. Garrett Wilson, uh, the, the other guy from Ohio State. I mean, Drake London has the most amazing name, uh, but he's another guy that's mid-first round type of draft pick. I think if they picked a receiver in the first round, people would be like, excuse me? Like, what are you doing? I would praise it. I would think it was a great idea. Adam, I mean, well, one, I've been, you know, at the top of the roof screaming for a number three wide receiver, but also like Adam Thielen, two of the last three seasons has been banged up and he's getting into his thirties. And at some point you're just not the same explosive receiver. He averaged 10.9 yards per catch last year. That's like not big numbers. Uh, that's more possession receiver. Like if he has a transition of being a Larry Fitzgerald, where you're a number three possession receiver on a great team, that's great. But man, if you can pair Justin Jefferson with another dynamic playmaker and whoever your future quarterback is, will get to walk in and just like have a palace of gold to sit on. I, I feel like they've settled way too many times and said, well, you know, we should probably just draft another corner or something, or, you know, let's get the tackle, which I think Darisol will be good. And, and I have no problem with drafting a tackle, but that extra weapon when Thielen went down last year, cousins numbers went in the tank. And that seems like that's been the case every time um, that someone has gotten hurt or there's something that's off. So I think that if they follow that and be Ramsey, if there's like one way they could be Ramsey, yeah. I think that that might like be the thing that surprises. Well, on us. offense, the Rams are an interesting team. You know, they they other than Whitworth, it's sort of a bunch of no neighbors along the offensive line, um, and they love the the three receivers. The Vikings don't have a ton depth at tight end. So a lot of times you're talking about receivers, it's like, well, what's the tight end room also look like? Oh, right. we've got three really good tight ends. Well, if you want those guys in the field, you don't need the receivers right. quite as much. And Conklin's a free agent, probably will end up elsewhere. Right. So the tight end is not a strength, uh, a huge strength for this football team right now. They could use some depth there as well but if you're only going to have one to two uh you know consistent tight ends on the on the team you need that third even fourth wide receiver as you said also prepare for guys being injured and when when Adam Thielen's down Justin Jefferson's going to get so much double coverage and he gets in because everyone respects him so much you just need to have another threat on the other side the Rams got super lucky with Odell falling into their pocket if if he doesn't I don't know if the Rams win the Super Bowl I don't know if they win some of those early playoff games uh, of course he got hurt in the Super Bowl but um, having him with the other receivers going down on that with Woods going down on that football team and some other guys uh, to have some opposite Cooper Cup was absolutely huge for them and you can't Cooper Cup just couldn't do it all by himself and and uh, so having Odell was huge and so having that second even third guy for the Vikings would be good I'm a big believer in the lines I, I think I'm a big believer in when you're sort of starting over in a sense new general manager new head coach that the more you can bolster line play at yep. the end of the day uh, I, was a, I was a New York Giants game this fall they actually played the Rams. It was like an early October game, I think. Went out to New York. And I was talking to somebody with the team. <coughs> Excuse me. And we were discussing those 2007-2011 those New York Giants teams. And there's a person just like in community relations who ran the community relations department for the Giants. And he goes, you know, at the end of the day, it still is a game of the lines. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, it is, it is. It's, it's, I mean, all the things we loved, we, we like talking about, it's like, it's like having a car and talking about all the options. So look at the options, the color, the, this, the, that, the spoiler, look how cool, you know, Mm -hmm. but what's the engine? What is really the thing inside that powers it? And in, in, in football on both sides of the ball, it's, it is those lines, you know, uh, uh, running the ball, pass protection, rushing the passer, stopping the run. None of that has to do with the quarterback. None of that has to do with the DBs. But th- those are a little more fun to talk about because that's sort of what you see. Uh, you know, when they, when they do trading cards, the linemen are not the ones that you're looking for. It's the, it's the quarterbacks and it's the receivers and running backs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, back in the day, I had lots of Alan Fanica cards and, and uh, Steve Hutchinson and stuff uh, when I was growing up with, with football cards. But no, you know, you're exactly right that, um, that if you're rebuilding a team, having a defensive line, because this team is probably a free agent guard, a free agent center away from having a decent offensive line for the first time in a long time because they have the tackles figured out and I think the left guard situation is okay with Ezra Cleveland so they just need a couple of spots but like when uh, Detroit uh, drafted Penny Sewell and not Jamar Chase I think they made the right choice and Cincinnati made the right choice with Jamar Chase uh, because well obviously Detroit drafted after so they couldn't have taken Jamar Chase but like picking Penny Sewell to start setting the foundation you need a couple of years for that guy to become a true impact player, whereas a wide receiver can impact right away. And, you know, it also depends on how you're handling it with free agency and a lot of things like that. I saw Daniel Jeremiah tweet about how a lot of the offensive lines, you know, that are good are built in free agency a lot of times. Like you're, you're figuring out those final pieces after drafting guys. And I think that's what, you know, the Vikings have to do as well, that if they drafted a guard in the first round or a center, they could be like, oh, man, like I get it. But also those guys are available in free agency. The Rams center is available in free agency. And a lot of times I think that's where you got to get your final pieces. Whereas the receiver, the thing about a receiver is it's sort of becoming quarterback like where if that guy's unbelievable, he's going to make twenty five or thirty million dollars in the future. When the Vikings eventually sign Justin Jefferson to a contract extension, he might be the first forty million dollar a year receiver. So getting those guys on rookie contracts, think about Stephon Diggs in the Minneapolis Miracle. I think he's making a million dollars a year at the point that he walks into the end zone in 2017. Think of the value the guy gave them in 2016, 2017. So there might be, you know, something to that 
uh, as well. Since since uh, this new GM is, I guess, he's big into analytics, right? It's sort of this new wave yeah. of uh, the smart people in the room, actually, and not just sort of like the gym teacher, uh, no offense to gym teachers, but the... <laughs> the gym teacher mentality of yeah. like, look at that guy. He's big, strong, and fast. Yeah. Or he's going to be a football player. It's way more sort of analytical and detailed now. Going back to where he came from, what were the drafts like, and what did they draft over the last you know three or four years? And you know, coming from Cleveland, my interest is what did they draft over the last three or four years? That's like the best guess of what they may draft over the next three or four years. Yep. Yep, and they and they stock the lines the same way that you're talking about. Okay, so I know people want to hear you talk about Kirk Cousins, of course, and we're going to do that in our next episode, which is after um, the, you know Quasi Mensa and Kevin O'Connell talk with the media because I figured it wouldn't make much sense to discuss the Kirk thing and then potentially have it change with how we feel about where they stand with what they say. I don't think it will, but if we recorded something and then they said, oh, actually, we just agreed to a trade, uh, then I would feel really dumb. So let's uh, we'll talk about that later, but I want to set the stage for that conversation with something our friend Eric Eager wrote. I'm going to try to catch up with Eric this week. Uh, he wrote this about quarterbacks and QB wins, and he was writing about how the CBA has made it the, the best way to win if you don't have a, a truly elite quarterback is to have one on a rookie contract, and he wrote about the math behind that uh, and why teams shouldn't be afraid of not like drafting the next Mahomes. Like If you just draft someone who's good, you've got a chance at success, but he wrote this about QB wins. Now, you are a QB, and you had wins, so give me your reaction. He said... I have absolutely zero reservations about conflating team success with quarterback success as quarterbacks have a bigger influence on team success than any individual player in any team sport. While it has become popular to say wins are not a QB stat, I very much disagree. Now, by the way, Eric Eager is a PhD in math who is meeting with all 32 NFL teams this week. I'm just saying, like, credibility here. Uh he says there are zero stats, completion percentage, touchdowns, interceptions that are perfectly correlated with quarterback performance and team success is simply somewhere on a continuum with these other ways of measuring quarterback performance. So QB wins. Eric says he has no problem conflating those with team success. Your thoughts. The quarterback touches the ball the most. There's a million stats you can throw at to throw out there to to guess how good a quarterback is. But at the end of the day, the only stat that matters is winning. And the person that, one, gets paid the most, but two, has the most responsibility, the most effect on a football game. Yes, I believe that winning is a quarterback stat. It doesn't mean like Matt Stafford for all those years was a bad, terrible quarterback because Detroit was bad and terrible. They're, they're a part of the whole thing. And you, there's just too many elements to – it's not a black and white um, um, issue. It's a broad sort of spectrum, and it's all sort of somewhere in the middle. But absolutely, I think uh, uh, you judge a quarterback on generally over time how successful they are as far as wins and losses. Well, and Matt Stafford, too, also was drafted by a team that picked number one overall – and sometimes when you look at somebody's record, I mean, Jared Goff has been on two of the worst teams roster-wise imaginable and pl- and like played like it per his record. He's probably better than that. He was also on several teams that were incredible, 
and he won and that was like some quarterbacks are a reflection of what you have as a roster and some quarterbacks add more to what you have as a roster in my mind Kirk Cousins is a guy that has played for teams that were basically 500 talent teams outside of maybe 2018 that was a little more stacked and that's what they've been they were a seven type of win team this year and they won seven games when it mattered and then there are guys who if you have a team that is a five win team they can get you to the playoffs if they have a 10 win team they can win you a super bowl and i think with stafford stafford is exactly that too with a little more upside with like if he gets hot he can do crazy things with his arm but you go through his career a lot of 500 detroit teams go 500 with stafford this roster for the rams like nobody got hurt their defense played amazing in the playoffs I mean, if their defense isn't as good in the San Francisco game, they just lose. If their defense isn't as good in the Super Bowl in the second half, they just lose. Uh, so he's a reflection, too, I think, of what you have with just a little more upside than Cousins. But I don't think it's unfair to say that like that's the level of team you need to get a Matt Stafford to win. And that's why the bar is so insanely high for who you pay because you in order to win with one of those quarterbacks, you can't just have a good roster and he'll take you the rest of the way. It's got to be like Hall of Famers. I saw today a, a PFF stat that Aaron Donald himself was worth as much in terms of like wins above replacement or value as the next three highest graded players at his position alone. Just Aaron Donald. He's on a completely different level. So you need Aaron Donald. You need Odell Beckham. You need Cooper Cup. You need these like otherworldly stars. And they had the best pass blocking in the NFL this year. That's what it takes to win with a Stafford. That's how I look at QB wins is what like what does that quarterback need to get you as a team to the top? And is it like how high is that bar? Is that bar at where with Stafford where I think it was truly you need a 10 out of 10 roster? Or is it more of a 7 out of 10 and he can get you the rest? I think the hard part is with all the stats, there's the stats that are like the crunch time stats, the third down conversions at the key points in the game, the fourth quarter, the two minute drills. Um, those all add up to me and to the, the quarterbacks that excel at those moments. It's not just the, the yards uh, that you throw for, it's when you throw for those yards. And that is sort of too complicated to always decipher as you look at a box score after a football game, which is what most sort of fans look at. Oh, he threw for 300 yards. Mm -hmm. He must have had a pretty good game. And But it's when he threw for those 300 yards, early in the game, late in the game, right before the half, at crunch time. And what Matt Stafford did, uh, and, and the way I look at quarterbacks, you know, to, to in the National Football League, to go out there and throw the ball to guys who are open, that's – that should be a guarantee, mm -hmm. all right? right? For them to catch the ball in a, in a you know pretty accurate throw, this is what these guys are doing for a living. The first 32, the second 32, the backups, they all should be able to hit these targets pretty accurately most of the time. The question is, when there's other issues that make it make that harder, offensive linemen missing uh, and getting some pressure, then what do you do? Right. So how do you make other people around you, in a sense, uh, you make up sort of for their mistakes? So that's going above and beyond, I'm throwing to the guy that's open accurately. Right. That's the bare minimum, basically, in the National Football League. That's like hitting an open shot in the NBA. If that's all you do, mm -hmm. you're not a great player. You're a part of the thing, but you're really just doing your job, which right. is stay in the corner and hitting an open shot, right? 
So the quarterbacks that go beyond that and add more value in other ways that are many times statistically are not even a stat. It's these subtleties. Uh, and then it's also, do they occasionally make great plays? Right. Right. Uh, Pat Mahomes, two or three times a game, makes great plays. Right. Two or three times. Maybe more than that. Yeah. For uh, him, yeah, probably a few Stafford more. Uh, in the Super Bowl made a couple great plays. Of course, the, the no-look pass. That's a great play. Mm-hmm. All right. And those plays um, at the right times, those are what separate the sort of average quarterbacks to the, to the ones that are in that sort of top 10, that top five. Uh, so it's not just like, did you hit the open shot? It's did you hit the open shot fade away with the guy in your face as the clock was going down? Mm-hmm. Ends up being one for one either way. Yeah, right, but the level right. of difficulty to make is 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 uh, is very different. And, and the quarterbacks to me that uh, are the best ones are they make up for everyone else's deficiencies because everyone has them. And you try to make up for for everyone else's that lifts the sort of lifts all the boats in the high tide. And again, it's it's occasionally occasionally making a great play. Right. And how many times? Over the course of the last, has Kirk been in Minnesota five years now? Four, yeah. Four years. How many times has he really been like, wow, that was a great play? Or, you know, the, the, the left guard completely whiffed on his guy. Kirk is in the pocket going back, makes the guy miss, steps up, runs to his left, and throws a 60-yarder. Pat Mahomes does that like every game. Right. Kirk's never done that, probably, or, or rarely does that. He just—that's not—he's not the type of athlete to do that. He doesn't have that high window or that high ceiling uh, um, uh, upside physically to make great plays. He—he he just simply doesn't. But he's paid t- to do those things, and that is one of the imbalanced issues with him and and in uh, his role on the football team with salary cap and and on all those things right which is why i think uh that these studies on recent quarterbacks are showing more correlation with success and athleticism because the defensive lines are getting better the defensive ends are getting better the pass protection is not getting better from year to year and there's more need for that i think there's always been need for that of course but there's even more i think with teams increasing how much they pass and everything else like that uh opponents dialing up crazy blitzes that offensive linemen can't possibly diagnose like it just keeps sort of trending that way so that's when, a, when that, i train quarterbacks by the way i talk about there's the play that's called the mm-hmm. play that, that is designed mm-hmm. and then called and then there's the play that occurs right all right and about half the time the play designed and called is quote-unquote executed whether it's thrown bottom of the field or it's thrown to the running back as the third read but it's executed mm-hmm. correctly the other half is some sort of off schedule, all right, and that's the you know. So it's it's not you know you throw 25, 30 balls a game, and half of those are going to be not as designed and not as was called. And the question is, what did you do on those plays? Right, and it's amazing the information we have is that I could tell you the exact amount of plays like that is about thirty three percent, because uh, if you look at the league average of first read throws. It's about two-thirds or first three throws and then a third of the plays. So over a season, you have 600 dropbacks, and that means you know 200, two, 200 of, them. of them. Right, quick math. 200 of them are going to be something that wasn't what you were supposed to do with the first read. When I, when I got in the league uh, in Washington, our coaching staff, Marty Schottenheimer, had come from Kansas City, and they had Joe Montana. So I was, I was watching – 
I, I one day I went to the you know I was, I was a third third quarterback or whatever and and I went into our OC's office. I was like, could I watch some old Joe Montana films? So I was probably watching like a VHS or something. Yeah, that's awesome. But I'm watching this old Joe Montana stuff, and he's at you know he's 36 years old, 37 years old at the end of his career. But the way he moved around mm -hmm. subtly and made plays, you know, he played basketball at Notre Dame. All right. So when, when I go forward now, after remember seeing that, because he's not some physically imposing guy, he's not Justin Herbert or Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. um, but now when I when I watch quarterbacks, I look for those that subtlety. It's not extreme athletic feats. It's mm -hmm. not Josh Allen jumping over Anthony Barr in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the field. Yeah. All right, those are nice to have. Yeah. It's the subtle. Uh, of movements that uh, are are winning sort of plays and, um, and and Joe would regularly he'd be in the pocket he'd make a throw get hit right in the face get up he'd also get in the pocket and move around a little bit and hit a guy in the run and create a play that was there so it was like the play called and play that actually occurred that's sort of I learned that that philosophy when I watch like, Joe Burrow there's the play called which he generally executes and when it's not there he generally has enough moxie enough movement capabilities uh that he can move around but he's not going to jump over people in the middle of the field either right like like, right. Uh, like Josh Allen yeah did, he right? ran for like 100 yards so it's like subtle athleticism and um uh and that's a extremely value uh, valuable and I, I do think I mean Drew Brees is a great high school athlete mm -hmm. and the way guys move in the pocket and those things are you can't just go back there and to your six yards and stand there and throw the ball and hits two or three times very often. It's just it's the, the sport is too hard. The defense linemen are too good, and uh, and you just don't have that type of time. So let's leave it there, and we'll continue the conversation on our next episode, which will come later on tonight. I'll probably post it for tomorrow morning. But uh, if you're, I mean, if you're listening to the feed, there's going to be just this week sort of sporadic. Uh, new podcasts that are popping up, and I'm really excited about that. So that's one. Uh, but we'll have another after we talk with Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell. A very exciting day here in Indianapolis. So obviously keep it here, purpleinsider.substack.com, or just purpleinsider.com now. Have you seen the new site? It's beautiful. Oh, man, it's nice. So uh, go there, check it out, and uh, we will catch you later from Indy.